0: Alright, we're back with another on-the-road edition of the podcast brought to you, of course, by the holiday season. I will be going back and forth between homes and various holidays and various things over the next month or two. So you may get another on-the-road edition after this one as well. Up front, I will say that the audio quality is not as good as it is when I'm in the studio. But having said that, it is the content Not the audio quality, right, that you guys tune in for? Nobody tunes in to hear my bullshit clearly through a nice, you know, $500 shore microphone. You just tune in to hear the bullshit regardless of how it's delivered. Having said that, this podcast, like all of my podcasts, is brought to you by this asshole on 95 right now fucking up my ass. This dude is driving up my ass. Hang on fucking northeast philadelphia all right this podcast is brought to you by my kind friends over at jm bullion jm bullion is the only place that i buy my gold and silver bullion they are my exclusive bullion providers i love jm bullion and folks i'm not gonna lie to you there are very few times like there have been very few times like the times we're in now and uh, if you believe something profound is happening on the global stage as it relates to the BRIC nations separating from the West and an eventual challenge coming to the U.S. dollar, which we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, then you may want to have some bullion on your hands. And a great way to do that is to email the lovely Laura, L-A-U-R-A at jmbullion.com. She would be happy to help you out. Tell her you're a QTR podcast listener. These guys always have great inventory, low premiums, they deliver discreetly, it is a wonderful way to get bullion by mail. Alright, discreetly, remember like when you would order the uh, Girls Gone Wild video and you would want, you would make sure that it, you know, you wanted it delivered in a non-discreet uh, brown box so nobody knew, your mailman didn't know that you were ordering the uh, DVD off television? Like that, except it's gold and silver bullion. All right, now that I've ruined that relationship, on to my kind friends over at Masterworks. I love Masterworks, I do. It is a wonderful way to get exposure to the art market, which is another thing similar to gold and silver bullion. I mean, not similar in some ways, but similar in the sense that it is a different asset class that may actually retain some value if uh, traditional assets wind up getting shellacked. You know, the art market has worked as a great inflation hedge for a long time. Um, And, you know, while the market, the stock market has been down, you know, I don't know, 30%, 35% over the last 12 months, uh, pieces that I've invested in on Masterworks, I've seen rise in value in double-digit percentages. So they have had great success in managing the uh, paintings that they buy and sell and the stakes in these paintings that they buy and sell. And how else are you going to get exposure to something like a Banksy, something like a Monet, uh, you know, without having millions and millions and millions of dollars? Masterworks makes it happen. They have a guest list right now. I'm sorry, a waiting list rather to join. You can skip the waiting list by using code QTR uh, at Masterworks in the podcast description. The link is in there. Give them a shout, Um, you know, just another way to diversify and wonderful people, people I enjoy doing business with, and they're very nice to me in the podcast, so we should be nice to them. This podcast also brought to you by my friend George Gammon over at Rebel Capitalist Pro. George has teamed up with Chris McIntosh and Lynn Alden, Brent Johnson, and other people that have IQs that are double, triple, quadruple, and up to 10 times as high as mine, George understands how to preserve wealth in a world of out-of-control central banks in a way that I wouldn't understand if I lived to be 400 years old. And George is a great friend of mine. I love his rebel capitalist forums. I love going on and looking at the mock portfolios. And I love George's take on macro. I think him and you know guys like Brent Johnson are part of a select few that really get it. And so Rebel Capitalist Pro is a great platform that I'm happy to recommend. That link is in my podcast description. This podcast also brought to you by my friends over at the Doomberg Substack, one of my favorite substacks to read. The link to that is in my podcast description. And my kind friends over at the Steam Room, Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus, the original gangsters of options trading, The Steam Room is a wonderful, beautiful piece of software that they have been working on for what seems like a decade now. These guys were the originals when it came to tracking unusual options activity in markets, and they have created a great way for the retail investor to also learn about market psychology, tape reading, flow in the options market, and how that can affect uh, your investments in the equities market, a great piece of software and wonderful people to do business with. My friends Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus. That link is in my podcast description. And finally, the OOGs of Options Action. My friends John and Pete Nigerian over at Market Rebellion. Wonderful guys. When me and Sang Lucci were in fucking diapers, these guys were on the floor of the Chicago uh, Mercantile Exchange throwing elbows and uh, literally punching people in the face to get their orders in. It was a different time back then, folks. Ask John or Pete about meeting me outside by the horse. That's what these open outcry traders used to have to do back in the day. When there was confusion on the floor, they'd go outside and beat the shit out of each other. This was before we had pieces of software. All you had were your fists. (laughs) Nobody fucking knows the options market. Quite like my friends John and Pete Najarian You recognize them from CNBC. Of course, I think their contracts are up. If that's the case, I'd like to offer them a hearty congratulation. But uh, Market Rebellion is a great community that provides so much more than just a look into the options market. A great trading community, wonderful insights, great technical analysis, and a whole host of wonderful market content to help you get ahead in the old stock market check out all those links to all my friends in the podcast description. Tell them all that I sent you. If you want a free trial, this, that, the other, they'd be happy to hook you up. Let them know that the Q man put you on to them. All right. What should we talk about today? How about the fact that Sam Bankman fucking freed? That's an extra hyphen. SBFF. Sam Bankman dash fucking dash freed. How about Sam Bankman fucking Freed isn't in fucking jail yet? You know, somebody sent me an instant message the other day. Actually, a direct message. That should date me. I'm still on AOL Instant Messenger. Somebody sent me a direct message yesterday that said, this guy ripped off $32 billion from people. And if I insider traded and made $1, they would have fucking SEAL Team 6 at my front door at 5 o'clock in the morning. And I can't help but feel like that guy has a legitimate gripe. Now, look, I'm stunned that since my last podcast, which I think was November 9th, right after the FTX blow-up happened, and incidentally the last time I was driving this portion of 95, which I refer to as the world's largest infrastructure hemorrhoid, Uh, Having said that, you know, I would have told you and maybe I did tell you on my last podcast that I thought Bankman fried would have been picked up by authorities by now. Now, if you had told me not only had he not been picked up by authorities now, but also that he's out food shopping in the Bahamas. I saw a photo of that the other day and that FTX, his platform that has imploded like a dying star has also somehow mysteriously suffered a hack, right? Quote unquote, a cyber attack, quote unquote. This is right. The fucking you know MIT math whiz is all of a sudden, all of a sudden the exchange is under cyber attack, right? They made it. They made it all the way to the point to before the fucking thing blew up without getting cyber attacked for their assets. And then all of a sudden, when the whole thing goes to shit, mysteriously, cyber attacks happen. And oh, what happened? Hundreds of millions of dollars is going bye-bye. I mean, this is insane when you think about it. This is an odd fucking ungodly amount of money is what I'm trying to say. You know, this isn't somebody walking into a fucking Popeye's and stealing a rack of fried chicken, all right? We're talking about hundreds of millions, billions of dollars being shuffled around right now, right? You got the people that are in charge of the bankruptcy proceedings. You read this guy's uh, attestation to the court, or whatever the hell you want to call it, where he says, look, this is way worse than Enron, right? He's never seen anything like it. Yeah, well, not only was the company in complete and total disarray to the point where they couldn't even nail down the number of employees the company had. But everything is fucking digital. All the assets are digital, right? So if you're like one of these bankruptcy executors or whatever this guy is called, and your job is to go in and try to find, you know, the uh, unchewed pieces of corn in the diarrhea of the company that's left over in bankruptcy court... And pick them out and hand them over to the creditors. You're, you know, used to doing that a certain way. Hey, we go in. Here's the bank accounts. They're at Chase. They're at Wells Fargo. Bada bing, bada boom. We send them a notice. We freeze the assets. You know, we clean out the corporate headquarters. You know, we know where the water cooler is. We know where the filing cabinet is. This is a bunch of fucking nerds in a mansion in the Bahamas with no real books on anything, no idea, you know, how many employees they have, where money is going, where expenses are going, what the bank accounts are. And then on top of that, you have this added element of hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars worth the assets being out in the middle of the digital fucking nowhere. Where are they? I don't know. Remember that scene in the, uh, the Wolf of Wall Street, where he's like, it's a fugazi, it's a fugazi, it's, where is it? Where are the assets? I don't know. They could, you know, are they in your left sneaker? Are they fucking underneath the carpet somewhere? Are they in your mom's blueberry muffins? Where are the assets? Where, where do you digitally store hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars? Well, I don't fucking know. I guarantee you, that all of the people trying to manage the administrative process of this bankruptcy who are likely you know ages 40 to like 70 have no idea and yet this money is just disappearing from the company and how's it happening you know is it is it happening digitally? Can we cut the fiber optic wires? Is it like somebody siphoning gas out of somebody else's car? Does anybody understand what's going on here? I mean, look, I'm not the fucking smartest guy in the world, obviously, right? I'm not, you know, extremely talented when it comes to uh, computers, when it comes to technology, but I can't, I don't even have a clue. I don't have a clue. And I'm not sure that anybody does. So something fucky this way comes will be the name of the book about this section of what's going on with FTX. Because something fucky is going on, and I can't put my finger on it because I'm not smart enough to. But we will find out in the aftermath, I'm sure, while Sam Bankman-Fried is in Belize somewhere, you know, in a club, all fucking hopped up on methamphetamines or whatever. You see those things he was doing? He's putting stimulant patches on himself in order to, I don't know, work more, work harder during the day. I mean, so many of these pictures of headquarters, you can just smell the body odor through the photograph. Like, ugh. You see the photographs of their headquarters, it's just like, man, you just, nobody's showering, you know? It's just not happening. I mean, what do you say about a guy that's like giving an interview? After he blew up $32 billion By the way, these matter-of-fact interviews Like, well, yeah, I fucked up, you know But I'm still looking for money I'm still looking for a strategic investor It's like, motherfucker You're going to jail Or you should be, at least Like, the game's over And he's sitting there One of the interviews wrote As I was speaking to Bankman Freed He was playing League of Legends Or World of Warcraft I mean, these, these kids have no idea what they've done Maybe Ellison knows, the chick, because nobody's heard from her. But I'm not even sure Bankman Freed understands what he's done. The fact that he keeps putting out tweets and statements and giving interviews and the fact that he's going to speak at this New York Times event coming up, supposedly, I guess, you know, via satellite they'll beam him in. But, you know, just the fact that he's doing that just shows you something is horribly amiss in this guy's head. Unless it's all a ruse to try to set the stage for an insanity defense, which is (laughs) what Zero Hedge tweeted a couple of days ago. I thought, yeah, that actually makes some sense. Maybe he's, uh, maybe he really is playing 5D chess. Either that or the guy hasn't lived in reality at any point during his whole life and is unaware of the consequences of his actions. But over the last few weeks, it's been talked about and floated, you know, it unveiled that he was the second largest Democratic donor behind George Soros. And of course, if you look on my blog, Fringe Finance, link is in the podcast description, I posted a photograph of him with House Financial Services Committee chairwoman, Maxine Waters, who I have railed about on the podcast in the past, namely because she chairs a committee that she doesn't seem to understand at all. I mean, shouldn't there be some type of civil service exam if you're going to chair a House committee? Like, Maxine, can you balance this checkbook, please? I mean, some of the questions that she has asked some people in some of these hearings Makes it appear to me as though she has a very poor understanding of economics, but maybe that's just me. Um, There was a photograph of Bankman-Fried with her, and there's somebody posted video of her blowing him a kiss, I think, at some uh, congressional event, and then of course the obligatory photograph of Bankman-Fried with Bill Clinton. And so, yes, he has cozied up to the Democrats, and he was a large Democratic donor. And in the days following FTX blowing up, there were a number of news articles written about Sam Bankman Freed that seemed to paint the entire situation in a light that I'm not sure that the everyday common man would paint it in, namely that, oh, Sam messed up. This guy who wanted to stop pandemics in the future and who was a great philanthropist had a problem and his little firm blew up. Remember in Hackers? He's like, the little boat tipped over. (laughs) Somebody explain this to me in English, please. The little boat tipped over. Sam's little crypto experiment went bye-bye. He gave it a good try and it didn't work. Well, that's actually not what happened. He committed fraud on a grand scale. He took customer deposits and he fucked around with them. And he lied about things. Right up to the very end. He's probably still lying now. And so you get all these articles written about him, like, oh, this great philanthropist uh, he just messed up, you know, fucking oops, his bad, you know, <laughs> no problem, we'll just, uh, we'll try harder next time. And then I log on to Twitter at some point over the last week and I got to see a photograph of this guy out in the Bahamas, you know, buying fucking English muffins or whatever he's doing. I couldn't authenticate whether or not the photograph was authentic or whether it was current, but somebody had posted what appeared to be an authentic photograph. Here's Sam Bankman-Fried out in the Bahamas just wandering about at a food store, and he was wearing an FTX shirt, too. It looked like the same one he was always wearing. I'm not sure he ever washed it. Again, with the body odor comment, you just get the feeling their personal hygiene was not very high on the list at this place. I can't describe it. I'm just taking a guess. You know, you got stimulant patches on all the time. So you can play fucking League of Legends 22 out of 24 hours of the day. The body produces a lot of sweat. If you're not interested in sleeping, where is showering on the priority list? It has to be very low. You know, with brushing our teeth, let's uh, we'll just chew some gum. It's because we can do that while we're playing video games, you know. Showering, we don't need to shower. Just put on some more of this cologne. Remember that kid in fucking middle school who just didn't shower and just slapped on a little extra jacquard Noir? This'll help. Holy shit. <laughs> you smell... You smell like the fucking worst cologne in history and body odor. Ugh. Like the... Like the... Like, the makeup counter at Macy's had a child with a fucking cheap, you know, $9 cologne rack at your local Rite Aid. Mixed with just, you know, universal fart smell. Absolutely horrifying. I forget what I was talking about. I can... Ugh. Ugh. Uh, hello. So anyways, fucking media is uh, painting this rosy picture about... BFF, SBFF, Sam Bankman fucking freed. And uh, I gotta say, you know, from the beginning, I was a little skeptical of the idea that there was some big cover-up going to happen or in the process of happening, to be honest with you. Because when the blow-up first happened and they filed for bankruptcy on November 11th, I was thinking to myself, this is too brazen. And it's too big for there to be any type of cover-up. You know, $32 is a massive blow-up. It's not made off, but it's fucking close. And now, with every day that goes by, I find myself wondering if there is a cover-up taking place. Because with every day that goes by, it gets tougher and tougher. You know, I wrote today on Twitter that the drumbeat of the idea of a cover-up gets louder and louder with every day that goes by, and Bankman-Fried isn't arrested, right? So it's like, all right, you know, we don't want to believe that the media or the Democrats are running interference for this guy, but why don't you prove us otherwise? Why don't you show us otherwise? Why is this guy... 11 days, 12, 13 days now after this whole thing has happened? Why is he still somewhere floating around the Bahamas? And you know the motherfucker has hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in crypto still. I'm not saying that he did this hack that's happening. I'm saying that the timing is fucking super coincidental. And he knows exactly how his exchange is coded and programmed and how it works. And I guarantee you, you know, look, the guy looks like he hasn't missed a fucking meal. And I guarantee you that uh, he's not missing a meal. Now the only question is, where are all these people going to wind up? Where is he now? Is he in the Bahamas still? Is he a flight risk? You know, Bohemian authorities apparently apprehended him for a minute for questioning and then they let him go who knows where this fucking guy is I mean think about how much money you would need to disappear maybe to disappear effectively maybe 50 million dollars to like uh, put erase yourself you know from the planet earth he's probably got a 10 times or 20 times multiple of that in his crypto wallet or another wallet that somebody doesn't know about and I guarantee you he can just siphon money and launder money and move money and get himself off that island and to somewhere where uh, he won't be extradited. So in essence, he may wind up like one of these Edward Snowden, Julian Assange-type figures, except instead of blowing the whistle to try to save democracy, he's a fugitive on the run, you know? And the next time we hear about him, he'll be living in some... You know, country with no extradition treaty with the U.S. Under the watchful eye of their government. I don't know what's going to happen. What are the odds you think this guy's still in the Bahamas? I don't know. Leave me a note on Twitter. Let me know. But in the interim, the media is having no trouble kind of painting his giant fraud as some type of accidental fuck-up. And... The New York Times is hosting some event next week. Uh, I forget what it's called, but some conference. And Bankman-Fried had been on the list of speakers, along with other morally, you know, wonderful individuals, like Janet Yellen, I saw, was on there, and a couple other people. And one would reasonably think that, all right, You know, he had been scheduled for this speaking event for a while. And so now that the company has blown up and he has imploded upon himself and destroyed billions of dollars in assets, maybe we should kick him off the speakers panel because, uh, you know, it's more important to make sure that he is recognized in the public light as the criminal and the fraud that he is, but no, Andrew Ross Sorkin, who, I don't know, you know, does some journalism sometimes, you know, Andrew Ross Sorkin, he's hit or miss with me, one of my buddies said that to me today too, he's somewhere between a wimp and an actual journalist, (laughs) I think it matters like what day it is, I've seen Andrew Ross Sorkin do some good stuff. But he tweeted out yesterday that Bankman Freed is still going to be attending this conference. Oh, lovely. He's going to be one of the keynote speakers. So I know what the New York Times is thinking. I mean, I don't know if they're trying to run interference for him here so much as they're thinking maybe we can, you know, maybe this could be a Pulitzer Prize-winning piece of journalism to have this guy speak at our forum. Of course, I mean, it would be a great interview, right? Anybody that could get this guy to talk, you never know who the person's going to be that's interviewing him when he finally says the thing that incriminates himself enough that it's, you know, talked about in court filings and indictments going forward. Everybody would like to be the news article that's cited. You know, he said in the New York Times thing, this, this and this. All right. And then maybe, you know, you get your uh, your Pulitzer Prize. I, I bet you that's the angle they're looking at. But there's been outcry, rightfully so, that he should be kicked off this panel. And I happen to agree. I don't understand why he is getting a forum to sway public opinion on things when he's brazenly committed multi-billion dollar fraud. Time isn't, you know, now for him to come out and give his side of the story. I mean, in subsequent interviews to the blow-up, he's already said, you know, I fucked up. Those are his words, okay? So that's an admission of guilt. He also claimed that his whole effective altruism platform was bullshit and nonsense. And the whole woke platform is bullshit and nonsense. So I don't know what else people need to understand that this guy isn't just a financial fraud. I mean, he seems like he's an actual phony of a person. He's an effective altruist fraud. But the New York Times is still going to have him at their event. So that should be an easy one to, uh, to tune into if it actually happens. Again, my guess is he will not be appearing in person. And speaking of the swift hammer of justice from our wonderful government, while this peckerhead is on a beach right now sipping fucking rum out of a coconut, and you and me are out here taking it up the tailpipe trying to fill our cars with a tank of gas, while he's doing that, while he's taking uh, surfing lessons right now and, you know, listening to the inside of conch shells trying to figure out if he can hear the ocean... And I'm here trying to navigate the New Jersey Turnpike with every other asshole on Thanksgiving. Uh, The swift hammer of justice from the government has come down. And here it is, folks. Are you ready? The government is not taking any of Bankman frieds bullshit. They're coming in hard. They are coming in hard. And they are going to stop this guy in his tracks. Guess what they're doing. Can you guess? They're requesting that Mr. Bankman Bankman-Fried answer some questions at a congressional hearing in December. Ha! Ah, ah. It's like falling asleep in a hammock. <laughs> not criminal court. Not indicted. Not answering questions in front of a grand jury. Not a deposition not tomorrow, not the day after tomorrow, in December, ah. which means that the soonest it could happen is fucking like eight days from now. This guy could be on planet Neptune in eight days. He's got $500 million. <laughs> eight days. Good thing he's not a flight risk. It'll probably get delayed, too, in December. Well, it's the holidays, or there's been another COVID outbreak. Mr. Bankman-Fried, your presence is cordially requested at a hearing of the subcommittee of the Joint Congressional Oversight. This and that and the. So that Miss Maxine Waters, who previously blew you a kiss and posed for a photo with you can ask you questions about cryptocurrencies because that's something that she definitely understands the intricacies of. Ladies and gentlemen, Sam Bankman-Fried. They'll probably applaud when he enters the room and give him some type of effective altruism, you know. Lifetime Achievement Award from Congress. Here you go. Handcuffs. Those are the things that come to mind. Handcuffs! you going to stroke this guy off in front of Congress instead? Where are the handcuffs? Jesus Christ. Anybody else move $600 on their Venmo account because they've been grinding on Uber as a contract employee at their third job because they can't afford fucking milk and bread so they go out and they try to earn some extra money on Uber, and they transfer that money to Venmo, and they use $12 to pay their Korean dry cleaners because they prefer to be paid in cash, well, the IRS has an agent for that. That, sir, that stops right in its tracks. That money needs to be taxed, ladies and gentlemen. Sam Bankman Freed takes $32 billion, douses it in kerosene, and lights it on fire of customer money. In front of all the regulatory agencies in the world. And he's cordially invited to Congress. To answer some questions, Sam. But only if you feel like it. Stop on by. If you, if you, if you can make time in December, Sam, if you're not doing anything. Swing on by, old Congress. We've provided cookies and bottled water for your pleasure, Sam. Bludgeoning our way forward. We, uh, on this death march of a podcast, we have to talk about the economy and the stock market, which is going to basically be me repeating everything I've said over the last month or two, which is that, uh, don't get complacent is basically what I think. By the way, there are big things happening right now on a global scale. We just found out China was the central bank buying all this gold. There was that mystery gold buyer from one of these uh, central banks. And it turns out it's China. What do you guys think they're doing that for, huh? Their fucking health? You know, I remember a year ago when I wrote an article basically postulating that China is going to start its own digital gold-backed currency... I was ridiculed relentlessly, and I'm being ridiculed less, but I am still being ridiculed. But we are inching closer to that, folks. I'm writing an article about this that'll be out at some point when I get my shit together. We're moving closer to this. I mean, look at what's happened. China and Russia have gotten much closer to one another. They've come out with the rest of the BRIC nations, Saudi Arabia, India, etc., who also, you know, along with Russia, happen to be a majority of the oil-producing nations, and China also happens to produce the rest of the crap that we use on a daily basis that isn't oil. And they said, all right, we're going to start our own global reserve currency, our own financial system. We're going to price oil in yuan and not in dollars. And I'm the crazy one. For suggesting that a giant global economic bifurcation could be on hand and essentially a new type of world war, in my opinion. A, a Cold War, but a new world war. I mean, what do you think is going to happen when China goes in and takes Taiwan? You think things are going to get better or worse? I think they're going to get worse. You know, Russia's doing what they want to do in Ukraine, and but for sanctions and the U.S printing billions of dollars to shovel over to ukraine i mean there's really nothing that we can do to stop them we can't we can't go over there and fight militarily i mean that would be a huge mistake if we did that talk about spreading ourselves too thin so what's going to happen when china decides to take taiwan what do we do we say thanks and good job and we pat them on the back no that's not what we're going to do we keep our nose out of it no we're not going to do that either We're going to try to do the same thing, right? We'll probably try to sanction China. And the BRIC nations will then further alienate themselves from the U.S. But when they have a majority of the productive capacity and a lot of the natural resources necessary to keep the world moving, I'm not so sure that they're going to care. So you can ignore the fact that China is hoarding gold at your own risk. Personally, for me, it continues to fall into place with my long-held belief that gold is money and that owning gold and miners is going to be the way to preserve your wealth into the future, at least until the state comes and takes over gold miners, which is an idea I heard on Palisades Gold Radio for the first time that I think makes a lot of sense, but I think we're many years away from it. But the market rallied again this week. It's Thursday today. And the market rallied on uh, Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. So the market is up this week. And we're back to levels. uh, You know, the, the Qs are almost back to 300 for the NASDAQ, which is a level that we haven't seen in some time. And one that many people are predicting is a sign that things are getting better and we've already hit the bottom and the Fed's going to come in for this soft landing and everything's all right and the Fed's going to start pulling away from rate hikes. That's, you know, what the minutes said on Wednesday. The FOMC minutes suggested that, hey, we're coming up on that point where the Fed may consider easing up on their rate hikes. To which I reply, who cares? Okay? Who cares? And I'll tell you why. Because there's 400 basis points of rate hikes in the plumbing of the economy and the stock market right now that still have not been digested. End of story. And when they are digested, the market is going to get crippled, slammed, shellacked, donkey-punched, limit-down, capitulation, mass hysteria at some point. I still think that's going to happen. Maybe it only happens for a week, but... We need to have that oh shit moment still before anybody can start to think about whether or not uh, the effects of these rate hikes have taken place. What we have seen, and if you go onto my blog, I wrote an article called Tapped Out. The point of that blog is to try to explain why the economy and the stock market continue to churn forward regardless of the fact that everything seems to be costing more. How is that possible? Well, one of the charts in that article is personal savings rate versus total amount of debt outstanding by, you know, consumers. What you notice is that a lot of the savings people socked away during the pandemic have now been depleted. And you'll see that people are paying for more on their credit cards. Credit card debt and uh, personal consumer loans are at highs. Which means that the next thing we will start to see is delinquencies ticking up. And that will start to send a slightly more alarming signal to the market than the personal savings rate being depleted and, you know, debt moving much higher. Because right now, that data is out there, right? It's just that nobody cares to look at it or believe that it's meaningful. In fact, I saw justification last week that that was good news. You know? Hey, it's great news that the consumer has found a way to survive. Uh, you know, their knees are buckling a little bit, but they're... They're making it, in other words. That was the case. And they're making it by taking on debt and depleting their savings. Well, how long can that last? You know, in the article, I likened the economy to Kurt Pellegrino when, you know, Nate Diaz had him in that triangle and he gave the two middle fingers. Because Nate Diaz knew that fight was over. You know, black belt in jiu-jitsu under Henzo. Got a fucking fully locked in triangle? Forget it. Like, he's just, Pellegrino's not getting out, and Diaz is not going to let up. So before he tapped out, before that match ended, Diaz stuck up both middle fingers and just said, Hey, fuck everybody. And that's basically what Jerome Powell's doing right now. While waiting for the economy and the consumer to tap out, he's got him in a fucking triangle choke, and he's just flipping the double bird right now. And the queues are almost back to 300. So, look, with every day that goes by, the fallacy of being able to uh, entertain the idea of a soft landing continues, right? Because with every day that goes by, people say, oh, we've made it one more day without a giant catastrophe, without something breaking, even though there was a run on Credit Suisse. Did you see that chart yesterday? fucking, like, $5 billion in uh, withdrawals from Credit Suisse. The Swiss National Bank, I think, had to come and, like, bail them out. And I said on a previous podcast or somewhere else, you know, our economy is FTX. Our nation's balance sheet is FTX and Alameda Research. Shuffling assets with a big air pocket somewhere in there, and something's going to have to give at some point. The only question is when, where, how, and why will it happen? But the point of the article I wrote was, look, at some point, consumers are going to run out of ability to borrow. And at some point, they're going to run out of savings. And then what? Well, then the clusterfuck volume gets turned up another notch. And then delinquencies start to tick up. And the clusterfuck volume gets turned up a little bit more. And then you start to have people delever to try and raise capital. That's things like selling houses, selling assets, selling cars. And then you'll see some deflation, right? Bunch of supply will hit the markets because people want to sell at any price because they need the cash. And that'll drive prices down. All this stuff is coming. And it is not going to be good for equity markets. In fact, even if the Fed pivots, I mean, look, with 4% rates, we're already doing irreplaceable and unfixable damage to the economy. The fact that the market is celebrating a 25 or 50 basis point over a 75 basis point in December is uh, its absolutely insane. It's like if the Fed took the economy outside and shot it four times in the head and it was already dead, but then people were celebrating that instead of shooting it again in the head, it's just going to take a baseball bat and club the lifeless corpse of our economy in the head. That's a victory. The economy is getting off easy. (laughs) It's crazy, but... Nobody cares until it shows up in the price of equities. Where are we again? We're like leading into COVID again. We were here. Many of my followers came from the whole COVID thing back in 2019 going into 2020. Go listen to a podcast I did called Pandemics and Other Things That Make Stocks Go Up. The title was, of course, Ingest... And the point of the title was that, hey, pandemics shouldn't make stocks go up. They should make stocks go down. And what happened? Shortly thereafter, stocks fucking went down. Well, let's talk about 4% rates. Are they supposed to make stocks go up or down when you have record levels of debt outstanding? I think everybody knows the answer. And I think it's one of those few answers remaining that is governed by what very few finite laws of Econ 101 and mathematics we have left. It's just math. You just can't hike rates to 4% and not have the economy collapse. I said on another interview, you know, uh, the one I did with Palisades Gold Radio a couple weeks ago, you know, imagine if we went back a year from now. You know, if we went back a year ago, or two years ago, because inflation was even starting to show up in November of last year. Say we went back to last last summer, summer 2021. The inflation stuff started happening at the back end of 2021. The rate hikes started really in a material fashion at the beginning of this year. So let's go back to summer 2021. If I told you CPI would be at 7.7% and rates would be at 4%, and the market was celebrating, you would have thought that I was smoking some shit. I mean, it's just a ridiculous concept. I guarantee you, if you had taken all the bullish idiots that are rolled out on financial media and you had pulled them in summer of 2021, even those people would say, yeah, well, 7.7 is a lot for CPI. And 4% is a lot for rates. I think we would have, you know, a big problem on our hands. Well, here we are, and many people are cheering it, as though we have achieved some type of success. Like, the consequences of our actions just aren't going to catch up with us. And this goes to a broader point about just arrogance in monetary policy. I mean, for a long time I've been saying that QE and modern monetary theory not only are they just dumb, right? Not only are they just dumb ideas on their face but they're born out of an arrogance and hubris that we have that suggests to us that somehow we have the power to micromanage the economy. And you know what? To some degree we do. But there are certain immovable objects when it comes to finance and economics, a lot of it relating to numbers and math, that we just can't get around. Eventually, you run out of dials to turn, you run out of buttons to push, you run out of ways to gear and game and scam and fucking cheat code and game genie the economy. You run out of ways to do it. And then eventually you got to play by the rules again. That's what's known as the free market having its say. And it will have its say eventually. But when the time comes and we finally have to be confined to those basic rules again, well, what's going to happen? Something's going to have to give, right? And what's going to give in our case? It's going to be the market. The market still trades at about 60 to 70% higher than the median bear market S&P price-to-earnings ratio. That means we're nowhere near a valuation bottom that we've been at in the past. Still, right now, 30 to 40% higher than the historical mean on a market cap to GDP basis. Rates are at 4%, which everybody knows, and if you don't, you do now. The effects of these rate hikes happen with a lag. Months, quarters, we'll see. The answer will be very clear to us at some point soon. But we're celebrating... This is great. I'm all the way in New Jersey. And the guy in front of me has a Philadelphia Parking Authority uh, parking permit on his car. Solidarity, brother. Anyways, at some point, the chickens are going to come home to roost. You know, the lag is going to become very evident. Right now, the inside of the volcano is about to erupt. And we're on the surface just kind of looking at the steam and the smoke saying, yeah, it's not really that bad. It's going to get that bad. It's just math. You know, Kenny Polkari writes that in his morning letter all the time. It's just mathematics. At some point, we're going to have to play by the rules again. And the stock market is where the air is right now. It's where the excess is. Crypto was the low-hanging fruit of the risk tree, right? So when rates rise and people start to get stretched and they need money and they ask for redemptions or they sell assets, financial assets, homes, cryptocurrency, whatever, the first thing that they're going to now is crypto because it's the most speculative, right? People are more likely to sell their crypto than they are to sell their home, right? Because on the ladder of, you know, speculation, well, crypto is much riskier and much more liquid. But as the deleveraging continues, people are going to be more likely to kind of move down that ladder to items that are less liquid, right? To items that are less speculative. So instead of just selling their $1,000 in Dogecoin and trying to get get it out of FTX. Maybe they got to sell their motorcycle. Maybe they got to sell their car on the used car market. Maybe they got to sell their stocks and their bonds first. You know, sure there's plenty of people that sold crypto before they're selling their stocks and bonds. And there'll be plenty of people that sell their stocks and their bonds before they sell their cars and their homes. So we're just now starting to climb the ladder of deleveraging and liquidation And it starts with crypto And by the way that's not going too fucking good Unless you're Sam Bankman fried Who right now is enjoying a fucking Toasted English muffin somewhere That he purchased from a local bohemian Supermarket Probably fucking signing autographs too down there You know The locals probably love him Probably tips his garbage men like $100 each You know Hey Mr. Bankman Bankman-Fried, We love you we still love you down here mon uh, thanks, guys. Have an English muffin. <laughs> you know that guy's still doing that. People here are going to be thinking about ways to sell their less liquid, more speculative, or less liquid, less speculative assets very, very soon. So crypto's the first thing to go, and that's not going real well. Stay tuned. Because the rest is yet to come. You want to know how I'm positioned, some of the stocks I own, because I do own a couple of growth stocks still, how I'm hedging, those types of things. Check out my blog, Fringe Finance. But for right now, I have a date with the National Football League, red wine, and turkey. All right, fools. Happy Thanksgiving. Love you. Peace. Check out my sponsors. I'm out. See ya.